it's really kind of hard to reflect on your own culture until you're removed from it. And so you suddenly kind of gain a lot of insight in an area. And so that's sort of where I think as this idea started um, for this for this course and kind of having teachers go out into the community, that's sort of where this came from. You know, I thought, well, I'd love it if teachers could go overseas, but that's not necessarily realistic um, for everybody. And so what would be kind of the next best thing? Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might we ensure that teachers are equipped with the empathy necessary to work with diverse groups of students? What kinds of professional development experiences are both practical and effective in supporting teachers who may not share the experiences of their students? What are simple steps anyone can take to learn more about cultural and linguistic diversity in their communities? We discuss these questions and much more with Laura Gardner. Laura has 16 years of experience working in public education, refugee resettlement, and social work. While in public education, she worked as a district-level manager for immigrant family and community engagement, as well as a school social worker. Laura also worked for Bridging Refugee Youth and Children's Services, managing their National Technical Assistance Initiative to federal refugee school impact grantees. Laura has facilitated professional development on building the capacity of teachers and school systems to engage immigrant families in their students' education, language access, cultural competency, equity, unaccompanied immigrant children, immigrant family reunification, and refugee resettlement. I met Laura at the WIDA conference in Detroit last October, and I knew that she would be a great addition to the Highest Aspirations podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get started. Hello, Laura. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad we finally have the chance to talk. So I I wanted to start out with how you came up with the idea of getting teachers out into their communities to experience other cultures sort of outside of the school space. Yeah, so um, I first came up with this idea when I was working in a large district in Maryland. And... um, you know, I used to coordinate, I was coordinating immigrant family and community engagement and um, the immigrant population in that particular area had really grown just over the past maybe 10 to 15 years. And there were a lot of teachers um, and administrators and school counselors and everybody who, many people who were kind of born and raised in that area and just weren't necessarily so familiar with the cultures of the students that they were seeing. And so um, I just kept, you know, thinking about um, how great it would be if teachers could go out into the community and um, see a little bit more of the day-to-day life of their, of their students and families. So that was kind of first how it started. Yeah, that's great. And I definitely experienced that as a teacher 
Um, I taught for almost 10 years in a district very similar to the one that you're talking about in Massachusetts, where sort of through no fault of their own, um, lots of teachers uh, hadn't really had the experience of, of working or collaborating or even just um, sort of spending time with folks that were outside of their own inner circle, whether that be sort of outside the country or even in their own communities. So um, I think that's great. And actually, like that reminded me during one of our conversations that you and I had, I think it was um, perhaps at the WIDA conference or maybe after you, you mentioned that uh, you said, I, I wish I could ship teachers to other countries. I think you actually mentioned El Salvador <laughs> so that they could experience, um, you know, what other cultures are like. Um, and you have done some traveling and I, I have as well. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how that experience, like your own experience traveling around to different countries, um, has helped inform your perspective on English language learners and newcomers and how you think that might, um, help others, whether it's actually getting out of the country, uh, to, to, to meet other people and to work with them or to just do that in their own communities. Yes, definitely. So um, I myself have been fairly fortunate to do a significant amount of traveling. And for whatever reason, I seem to be really drawn to more uh, developing countries and like some of the countries that, you know, our students and families tend to come from. And so um, I will never forget um, the very first um, time I went out of the country was by myself. I went to Brazil back when I was um, in college and definitely had culture shock. I didn't know any Portuguese um, and just experienced a lot of kind of anxiety. I mean, I had fun too, but you know, a lot of maybe what our students and families um, face. And then um, later on, fast forward, I got to spend um, about four months in Central America. And here um, where I live in the DC, kind of Maryland, Virginia region, our number one immigrant population, um, at least in most areas is from El Salvador um, and other Central American um, countries. And so, you know, <clears throat> at that time, I got to do an immersion experience of my own, learning Spanish, living with a family. And so I, I also um, got to experience a bit of culture shock, learning the struggles of, of learning a language, just kind of you know, when it's necessary right then and there, whether it's to go sure. to the bathroom, to, you know, order in a restaurant. Um, or just talk, uh, like talk to someone, you know, like if you have yeah, make a just talk to someone, anything. Right. So anyway, so yeah, so I've really been kind of fortunate and I really think that in throughout all of my travels and, and various countries and continents, it's really not only helped build my empathy. Um, and, you know, obviously, yes, you learn about other cultures, but most importantly, I think I've learned about my own culture through those travels yeah. because when you're just kind of growing up, let's say you're born and raised in the United States, it's really kind of hard to reflect on your own culture until you're removed from it. And so you suddenly kind of gain a lot of insight in that area. And so that's sort of where I think as this idea started um, for, this, for this course and kind of having teachers go out into the community, that's sort of where this came from. You know, I thought, well, I'd love it if teachers could go overseas, but that's not necessarily realistic um, for everybody. And so what would be kind of the next best thing? Right. Yeah. And we're going to get into the program and everything about it in just a sec. But I want to like hang on a couple of points that you just made here because I think that they're uh, they're important. Sure. Uh, for, first, I want to say that like what you just said, I sort of preach to my own kids all the time because, you know, we're growing up in an area where 
there's really not, unfortunately, a lot of cultural diversity. Um, and like you said, it's really hard to reflect on even, I love that you mentioned, like to reflect on your own culture. And that kind of goes to the idea that these kinds of experiences certainly help teachers help others, but they also help people on an individual basis just reflect on kind of who they are, how they've grown up and how they fit into the world. So I think that's, that's, that's crucial. And the other, the other piece that you brought up, which I thought was great, like talking about your own experience and I totally relate. Um, I sort I did the same thing. Um, the, the first experience I had was in Spain. I, I, I lived there for about eight months when I was in college. And I, again, like I didn't really speak too much Spanish. It was school Spanish. So I had all the things you were talking about. Also I did some traveling around Central America um, and, and was sort of in that anxious, like culture shock period, sort of for different reasons. But like you talk about how that builds um, empathy and that empathy like has, it's just so important. And I feel like it's something that you can't really get unless you experience something like this. So before we actually get into talking about the program, I wanted to talk about that because I know that is a big part of what you're doing, empathy. So can yeah. you just kind of expand on why you think that that's so essential specifically for um, teachers who are working with English language learners or newcomers or immigrants? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, if you've never been in a situation where you couldn't really communicate and you, I mean, literally there are times in Brazil, I had no idea what was happening. Like I, I had, I did not understand what the situation was. That's, that's, <laughs> like that's I, very familiar. Yep. Yeah. And so if you've never experienced that, it's very hard, I think, to relate to what our students and their families are going through. It's just something you kind of you kind of really want to try to put yourself in so you can just see it and feel it for yourself. And I will add kind of to piggyback off of what you just said, I grew up in Ohio. So I also was not um, exposed to a lot of, um, you know, diversity growing up. And when I threw myself into Guatemala, I didn't even, I hadn't studied Spanish in school. I studied French. So I, so I had only ever taken one semester of Spanish. So I really, I, I showed up at a family's home to live with them. And I literally was like, hola, like that's about yeah. all I knew. It, it sounds so, like you had less experience than I did for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I, I mean, again, it was scary, but I'm really, really glad that I did it because I mean, I can still take myself back there mentally and feel what it was like to sit on the bed in my host family's home and be like, what have I done? Like, yeah. what am I doing yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, it, it, like I, and I'll, I'll stray a little bit here because I just, I like you, the points that you're making are so, um, they're just, they're just so similar to my own experience. My memory, like when I have to bring myself back there, it's being at the, um, and it's a whole long story of actually how I got there. I won't get into that. But I finally got to like the apartment building of my host family's um, apartment in Oviedo in the northern part of Spain, which is not like the tour Spain where everybody speaks English, like nobody speaks English in Oviedo. And so I'm at the bottom. I knew the floor button, floor nine, and the apartment that I had to press so that I'd speak with these people through this, this speaker at the bottom. So I had no like human contact to look at someone or gesture. And I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to say to these people? And I like scripted it out in my head and then I pressed the button and it just all went like everything just, went. <laughs> and I, had, I don't even know what I said, but I got in there. Right. And like, then I continued to make progress over and over. So that <clears throat> empathy, but it's just so crucial. And like you and I have that experience, but there are many others, like you said, and I think you, you said earlier that you were lucky enough to do that. I also feel very lucky that I was able to yeah. do those things. And so 
you know, this, the, the program that you, that you started was really an attempt to make sure that as many people as possible, correct me if I'm wrong, but that as many people as possible get to experience this in sort of a more um, convenient way for people who maybe aren't able to do those things. Yes. So my question, getting into the, the program, you have this idea, which like lots of people do. I've had lots of ideas that have not turned into anything, but you had this idea and you said, all right, I need to start this thing. So I'm going to write a course proposal. And you used, if I'm not mistaken, you used Title III money to get started doing that. And I, yeah. th I think like that, I'd like to start with the program there because many people have great ideas, but they don't take that next step. So how did you go about doing that? How are you able to make that happen? Yeah, so um, so in the, the district I worked in in Maryland, um, I was, again, I was fortunate because I was working in the central office. And there was an acknowledgement and a recognition, I think, that, you know, like I said, I coordinated immigrant family engagement or, you know, English learner and immigrant family engagement. And so there was a recognition that... Um, you know, me and my, my team of um, bilingual parent liaisons shouldn't only just be working with parents, but we needed to do a lot of the capacity building work as far as the, you know, the staff. And of course, there's a lot of professional development money in Title III. And being in the central office, I had fairly easy access to that. So um, it wasn't really too, you know, too difficult um, maybe I could see how maybe it'd be a little bit more difficult for somebody who's, you know, at the school level and particularly if you're in a really large district where there's lots of layers of bureaucracy, but it's always worth sharing ideas and asking. Um, I don't know. A lot of central offices are looking for good PD ideas. Uh, so that's what I would say about that. Yeah. So maybe the lesson here is for people like me who are classroom teachers and had these, I thought were great ideas, but didn't take that next step is to get in touch with folks at your central office, find out who the people are that are kind of um, doing that and taking that extra step that you didn't have to take because you were kind of right there and, and, um, and sort yeah. of, yeah, but the other, the other thing is that I think is great is that you, you know, were in the central office, um, which is a very busy place um, and a place sometimes that can be, at least in my experience, um, it can be a little disconnected from what's going on on the ground. That's certainly does not sound like the case um, there. Like you took the initiative to make this happen because you um, thought it was yeah. important. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought it was important. And again, this was around the time when the Dr. Karen Mapp's dual capacity building framework was coming out. Mm -hmm. And also just, I'm a, even, you know, I'm a social worker by training, but I'm a, what we would call a macro social worker where we, I'm a, I think about systems a lot. And I really wanted to think through you know, my mind just goes to the capacity building piece because when I, when I started, you know, I saw my, my team of these bilingual parent liaisons just, you know, they were like hamsters on a wheel, just spinning their wheels. There was just so much work to always be done. And I knew that we needed to do something that was um, bigger and that would help build the capacity of just the average classroom teacher to better understand their, their students and families. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the Karen Mapp's work in the dual capacity framework. You and I have talked about this. Um, that I, you know, I, I worked with her a little bit at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And you know, for folks listening, I've mentioned this in the podcast before. There is um, a free Harvard X course that you can take yeah. that, um, and it's uh, sort of all of uh, Dr. Mapp's work um, in, in a condensed online course. And you can do it a la carte. You can do the whole thing. Well worth checking out. So we'll link to that at the end of the episode um, as well. And that's 
about family and community engagement, but I think there's so much more. Yeah, it's um, excellent. We can take out of it. Yeah. So let's let's talk about kind of the nuts and bolts of the program. You obviously took the initiative, you had the idea, you took the initiative, you made it happen. Um, and then you structured it kind of in a blended approach. So um, I want to start with, so there's like this online piece and then there's a piece where people actually go out and do these things. And I want to start with the online piece. What does that entail um, and how does it help sort of teachers stay engaged in the work? Sure. So I will clarify one thing. So when we first rolled this out in the district I worked in, um, the classes that we did were all in person. But now, um, you know, that I've left that, that district and we're partnering with English Learner Portal, um, now we've got the blended learning approach. So, um, so for online, I think what, you know, we require uh, five of these, you know, cult, we call them cultural immersion experiences where for, let's say for example, a teacher um, goes and visits uh, a local mosque. Um, ideally, the mosque that many of their students or, you know, uh, students in their district are, are attending, right? And so then they will journal about their experience um, uh, and submit that um, to me as the, you know, the course instructor. But then there's the online platform. Um, again, we partner with English Learner Portal and we're using, it's called the Teachable platform, but there's just an online discussion where um, educators can Kind of debrief with each other right and that that debriefing um <clears throat> when i was in the maryland district we did a lot of that debriefing in person and i mean there's pros and cons to both ways but in this case it's nice because educators from different parts of the country can also you know debrief with each other right. and could be anything from you know oh my gosh I, that was so hard i've never been in a situation like that where i was um, the only or the only um, you know white person or the only non-immigrant or the only you know it, the idea is um, really to kind of put yourself in experiences where you are quote unquote the other whatever sure. that whatever that looks like or, or feels like for for you um, and there's there's quite a bit of research to, to back um, to back that up too I'll have to maybe for the podcast you can link to I remember it was um, Oh, I'll have to get the name of it. I believe it's Lynn O'Brien who does who has a really good article about the impact that um, this process of kind of putting yourself in situations where you are the other, how that yeah. how that has for educators. Yeah, I mean, an anecdotally, it makes perfect sense, and I think you and I both experienced it. Um, but having that research to back it up, obviously, when you're creating a course that you know you want it to be research based, right. it's nice to have that. So we'll definitely we'll definitely um, link that in. And I think like there's tremendous value in like, as you were talking about the, you know, people from around the country um, can kind of get online and, and debrief about their experiences. Um, the value of that is key. Like I think, you know, at the time when I was sort of experiencing um, these new things, either through travel or when I was teaching and I was working with students um, from a wide variety of backgrounds uh, with which I was not necessarily familiar I didn't really have, uh, I'm not going to call it a support group, but I, but I didn't have like a, like a community, like a, a, online or, or live to kind of rely on. So um, how has that sort of expanded this opportunity, expanded people's um, ability to kind of process um, and really reflect on what they have 
uh, experienced in the field, like that that mosque yeah. example that you gave. You used the the p word process. That is a very social work type thing. Oh, we're good. all about we're all about processing. So yeah, I think I kind of brought that social work lens to this because I mean I know I know for me as well. I think back to um, the very first internship that I had. Um, working with refugees and immigrants, and this is sort of a long story I stumbled upon. Um, this internship in undergrad, I ended up doing refugee resettlement work in Chicago. And I was in a kind of structured um, internship program through my university that required us to do these journals and reflections. And I still have those today. And I look back at just how much learning and growth I had over the course of, I think it was like 10 weeks only. And so I, and, and then again, with that sort of social work, my social work education and knowing the importance of really processing experiences, I really wanted to make sure that that was a part of this because otherwise you're kind of just, I mean, there's some processing that kind of just occurs internally, but I think it really helps to, you know, talk it through, write it through and connect with others that are experiencing similar situations. Yeah, I mean, it has to be built in. I mean, I, I think that's that's becoming more, and I think it, uh, you know, it's a good thing. But that's becoming more and more sort of embedded into um, course design, even in like an undergrad course or a graduate course, um, uh, allowing people to do that. But when it's when it's reflecting and processing, I'll use the term because uh, I know it's an important term now, um, <laughs> and processing this information um, that came from real experience um, it has even has even more value, which is great. Yeah. So the, the, the program, like you just kind of described sort of um, what, what goes on in terms of like the cycle. Uh, someone visits this a mosque, for example, and then processes this experience. What have you found either kind of um, anecdotally from speaking with people or in like the reflections that you've seen? Like what are, what are typically people's experiences and reactions when they do something like this um, in the field and they haven't done it before? Yeah, I I would say it varies a lot. And so I've seen, man, I've seen all over the board. I've seen some people who, some who have traveled a fair amount, but who, you know, chose to push themselves out of their comfort zone, that extra level. So for example, when, when we ran this in Maryland, almost pretty sure no one in the years that we did this had ever visited the local mosque. And so, um, you know, one of the one of the requirements that we had for these immersion experiences was that they could only do one with a family member or a friend or you know what have you, but all the rest of them had to be completely on their own. I love and it. so some people took, you know, really took this seriously and and you know, a couple of people here and there would sort of cheat in various ways. But um, you know, so some people would be like, Oh my gosh, I learned so much. This was so fantastic, and they would go on and on and on, either in in their written reflection or, um, you know, in our, you know, we had the in-person group. Um, other people, I literally saw people cry who mm -hmm. were saying, I never knew that this was what my students felt every day. And it was just so powerful. I mean, we even had, I remember we had a Spanish teacher who joined our class and she thought she was relatively, you know, kind of on top of things. But after she, I think she went to, if I'm remembering right, it was um, either like a church service in Chinese or it was like the local Chinese school. She sat through some Chinese class and immediately she went, oh my gosh, 
there were no visuals or there wasn't, there weren't enough visuals. So she like went back and redesigned her whole classroom to be yeah. more visual. Um, we had, um, you know, uh, let's see, what else do we have? I mean, really it kind of varied. It was super excited. Um, kind of all, you know, again, like I said, some tears, some kind of, you know, in the middle, but like I, we had people on a waiting list for this class. There was no one was really, you know, um, no one was dissatisfied. No one was, you know, traumatized. No one was, I mean, everybody really enjoyed the learning they got out of it. Yeah. I mean, it was impactful. That sounds like that's the, the, the common denominator. And you kind of just got to my next question, which, which was about the success of the program. Cause you and I talked and you, you mentioned what you just said in, a second ago, which is that there was a waiting list and it was, um, it was quite successful. I'm going to ask this question for the purposes of kind of, um, you know, getting an idea of, of, or giving people an idea of what folks are looking for in the field when they're teaching and they're working with these students. And that question is, why do you think, what do you think it was um, that attracted so many people, educators to this program? Well, (laughs) at one point I thought, okay, so we, with the title three funds, because we had, you know, the line item for the PD, we were actually able to give stipends to teachers. Um, it was which about is, which actually, is great. I mean, that's yeah. Great. It, was, it was about twenty five dollars an hour to come um, to the class where we were doing the in person debriefs. They did not get paid for actually going out and doing the, you know, their homework, which was these immersion experiences. Um, and so at one point, I thought, is everyone just coming for the money? But then I realized, no, it was totally not the case because I talked to a number of people about this. And it, it really, it really wasn't that. I mean, the fact that I would put a sign up, um, you know, we had one of those centralized PD things and you had to like sign up for the class and it would sell out or, or fill up, I should say, in, you know, half an hour or something. And this is a district with, I don't know, 10,000 employees or something. And so um, I think it just was really the fact that it was a learning experience that was very, like you said, impactful. It was <clears throat> something practical it helped them build relationships with students and families especially for example let's say this like one of the immersion experiences um and and again depending on kind of what part of the country you live in these immersion experiences can look totally different but a lot of our our teachers you know would drive by let's say the same um, kind of area of town that had a lot of the Hispanic and Latino grocery stores and they yep. had never been in, in any of them. Very familiar. So, yep. Yeah. So they would, they would say to their student, okay, make me a list of groceries that I need to, you know, pick up tonight. Please only write it in Spanish or in Mandarin or in, you know, whatever part of town or whatever. You know, go. And they would go with this list of groceries and go in and kind of, you know, try to go around and figure out. And they, you know, we told them really don't leave until you have everything, like see how long it takes you. And they'd be like uh-huh. an hour in there you know, trying to find of things. Course. Um, so anyway, it helped build connections with students and families. So just, it was just kind of worth their time is what they would, they would, they would say. So. Yeah. So this is more uh, than just kind of a personal learning experience, but also one that involves students and parents and allows the person who's involved to make connections with lots of different people, which I think is great. And so what we didn't really talk about, you gave some examples, but I want to um, kind of zoom out a little and, and have you talk a little bit about what types of immersion experiences um, participants can experience. 
Yeah. So um, the immersion experiences, um, you know, I I will work with whatever um, whatever school district, let's say, is doing this, and we can work with the immigrant parent and community leaders to kind of come up with what they suggest, right? Um, but in general, kind of the themes of them. Um, in the online course, there are, there are five that you have to do, and we like one of them to be a home visit. Um, home visits are, uh, you know, really kind of big now in the education field. Um, not only do they, you know, help with that building connections and relationships, but also, I mean, you may have seen, I'm sure you've seen in the literature, they help with other things too, like literacy and attendance. Um, so we like to do the home visit. And then um, you've heard me mention a couple of times about places of worship. That seems to be a powerful one for folks. And so, um, you know, if you're Christian, you're not going to visit a church, but, you know, mm -hmm. you might go visit, like I said, a mosque or a temple or something, or maybe you're Muslim and you want to go to a church and maybe sit through, you know, a mass in Spanish, right? Or something totally different from whatever you practice. Um, the, uh, there's definitely, you know, um, the opportunity to do some trips into the, the community. Like I, I said earlier, it could be um, uh, that grocery store example I gave, or maybe a holiday celebration that you're unfamiliar with. Yep. Uh, I know I've had some amazing cross-cultural experiences going to like the fall um, mid-autumn moon festival or like Lunar New Year or Eid or, you know, those kinds of um, things. So those are, you know, just some of the examples. And then the last two, we ask for an interview where you're either interviewing um, one of your uh, students' parents from another country and learning about their background or interviewing one of the immigrant or refugee community leaders in your, your area. And again, like when we partner with school districts to do this course, um, we're able to help do some of the, I guess I'll call it legwork for back of, lack of a better word, but let's say you're like, I don't know how to find, who are my immigrant refugee community leaders? You know, sometimes you have to do a little digging and relationship building sure. to kind of form those connections. And then the last one is um, shadowing or observing. So maybe shadowing an interpreter for an hour, or if your district has um, parent liaisons, maybe shadow them, or just some kind of professional who's well-connected to the immigrant communities, but outside of public schools. So that could be like a social, like a, maybe a bilingual social worker, or uh, maybe there's like a certain immigrant liaison to the police, those types of things. So those are kind of how, that's sort of how we lay it out. So we like to get that input from the immigrant parents and community leaders, but have kind of a general um, framework of, of it least sort of themes of the five immersion experiences. Yeah, I guess I have two main takeaways there. One is that first, I, I guess an observation, I love it how um, these experiences are kind of divided up into different types. Like some of them seem, um, I don't know if I want to call them passive, but like, you're go, like you've used the term a few times sitting through something, which I think is tremendous value. Like just kind of yeah. going to a service or, um, or, or listening or observing or shadowing a student, those kind of passive pieces. But then there's some pieces that really require you to, to interact. I mean, obviously the interviews are, are an example of that going to a supermarket, um, and trying to, you know, actually do things is key. So I think that's great. It must give people like, um, the opportunity to do a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. And then the second takeaway that I have there, and you just mentioned it with the word framework, um, it sounds like what you're providing is 
is a structure that people can work with. And you mentioned the word legwork, but you're giving folks, you've mentioned a few times, you can kind of tailor this to different districts and different places. You're giving people yeah. the agency to kind of choose the, um, the immersion experiences that work best in their communities. Definitely. Definitely. And yeah. And I, I mean, I think, you know, whoever's listening to this, I mean, you might be in a district where um, perhaps this is something you can go ahead and set up, you know, on your own. And, um, you know, that's great. All more power, you know, power to you. But, but some folks um, may need a little bit more of that framework and the structure or help from someone like me to kind of do a little bit of that legwork to kind of get this, get this going. And so, you know, that's kind of why, you know, one of the reasons why we're, why we're here. So it could go kind of either, either way. Great. And that, and again, kind of leads me to my next question, which is um, uh, kind of a two-part question. One, how would you recommend uh, listeners get involved in this kind of work? And two, are there opportunities available through your program or is it something that folks can start on their own? Like, where do you think, you just kind of alluded to that a little bit, but, um, you know, I'm curious to see like, like, can you kind of start out with this and kind of dip your toes in? Um, and how, how would you go about doing that, you know, and then later or sure. even then use your program? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first I would just challenge, I mean, literally anyone out there listening could just take this upon themselves as a personal challenge over winter break, maybe try one new experience. Uh, it could be a new restaurant, a new grocery store. It could be ask your students before you leave for break, you know, what are you going to do over break? Where are you going to go? Where do you go shopping? I don't know, whatever the question is and get a sense and maybe just take it upon yourself as that personal challenge. It, and maybe, maybe you end it there, right? If you're, um, if you like the idea of doing something with others um, and you know, let's say you do have someone in your central office, maybe you, whoever's listening, it's, you are the center, in the central office, and you, you think, hey, we have a lot of these relationships in the community, and like, we could build this on our own. Um, great. I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, I built it myself. I think it, you know, it can be, it can be done. It's not really the hardest thing, especially if you have already a decent number of immigrant parent and community leaders who can kind of guide you in what would be valuable. Like, for example, had I not had the relationship with the Muslim community leader, I could not just be like randomly sending people to the mosque because they, frankly, they have a lot of security concerns, but I already had that trusting relationship. So, you know, there may be a group that are out there who already kind of has some of those relationships who can, who can do this on their own. and, And I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Um, and then that last group, if you think, wow, this would be amazing, but I really have nowhere to start. That's when I would encourage you to contact me and maybe we can, you know, set up a partnership and think through, um, how to design this for your, for your area. Great. Well, two more questions that I like to ask everybody that comes on, um, highest aspirations. The first one is, um, about a book or resource that has had an effect on you either personally or professionally, or perhaps both given your, um, your experiences and how they tie into your professional life. Um, would you recommend a book or resource to anybody listening? Yeah. So I guess two things come to mind, probably the most, um, uh, as far as influential books, I think back to college when I read some of Jonathan Kozel's work, um, trying to remember the various titles, uh, but a number of his books were were influential and and kind of 
really learning about and seeing the disparities between districts um, and kind of the haves and the have-nots. That was very impactful. And then as far as kind of a resource, I would probably say the Bridging Refugee Youth and Children's Services website and Clearinghouse. Um, and it's, it's I, I laugh a little bit because I did used to work there, but I, I really think that it, um, it was a very powerful resource for me long before I ever worked there. I used it a lot in um, graduate school, looking through their clearinghouse for resources and learning about different refugee and immigrant populations and kind of interactions with schools and challenges and strengths and all of that. So that has been a very important resource to me over the years. Great. And we, as always, will link to those two on our ever-growing library of resources um, on, our, on our blog post and the written version of this podcast episode. And my last question, Laura, is um, how can people learn more about your program or get in touch with you if they do want to kind of take the next step to make this happen? Yeah, so um, I would just encourage people to um, head to my website, which um, I'm sure you'll post, but it's, you know, immigrants, refugees, and schools.org. So each of those had an S on the end. Um, and um, uh, send me an email. It's just Laura at immigrants, refugees, and schools.org and, uh, or give me, give me a call and numbers on the, on the website and uh, we can go from there. Perfect. Well, yeah, we'll make sure that we post that resource and all of the others. And uh, Laura, it's been great chatting with you. I feel like we, um, both of us have, have a lot in common. So it was nice to talk travel stories and, uh, yeah. and hear about that kind of familiar anxiety, but more importantly, I really appreciate you coming on, um, and, and not only bringing in your own experiences, but some of the research, um, and some of the work you've done to really show people that, yeah, this is an important thing to do. And, and not only is it important, but it's, it's totally doable. Definitely. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.